On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Well, hi and welcome. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I am the moderator of Current Issues in the Constitution. And today with me on the line is Professor Wilson, who um, is always a pleasure to have. And he is going to be sharing with us some uh, key points about what is happening um, that is a, a growing threat for those uh, who are, own land, like we both do, uh, with the EPA and guidelines and so forth. But, but uh, Woody, uh, you wanted to take some questions um, that were sent in, so I think we'll start with those. Sure, let's do all right. Um, unless you haven't heard, and I'm sure most of you listening have because you keep up with the current issues that are happening and the current events, but um, there has been an American prisoner of war in Afghanistan that was traded um, one for five with some senior Taliban commanders. And um, this has really taken um, both parties of Congress by storm because uh, they did not um, hear about it. They're supposed to be given 30 days of notice before any of the prisoners of war are released. And, um, you know, there were some reasons that the White House gave for the hurry, um, which, you know, by watching the telecast uh, on the release of the prisoner, it was because he was in, in dire um, health and they didn't really say why. Um, but the first question from Anne is, you know, as, as this case grows, um, that this this uh, soldier looks like he um, walked away because they've had several people on the news that have uh, vouched for the fact that he was not um, sympathetic with American causes. In fact, um, walked off their their base without any um, protective armor or any weapons, or you know, kind of wanting to get caught. Um, they wanted to know if this would be a case for impeachment of the president because of, you know, his um, going against the law and letting the congressman know about the release of five hardened criminals from the Taliban. Yeah, technically it is a case for impeachment. He broke the law, uh, and he has done that many times, and uh, this is another event. I think some would say it's a um, it would be a misdemeanor, it's a, it's a smaller thing. Uh, it's not that big a deal. Um, nobody died. Nobody got hurt. Uh, no property was lost. I, I think you would have that reaction from a lot of people of the political class. And when I say political class, I do not do it with a great deal of respect. Um, so it is a, a game of politics. I don't know 
what Republicans in Congress are thinking about impeachment, but I am sure that some of them are keeping the list. And perhaps they're going to hold on to the list until after the next election. Or perhaps they are, if you try to impeach a, a president against the will of the people, there's going to be a heck of a backlash on election day. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are they going to do? I don't know. Uh, these are the kinds of things they talk about in private, uh, behind closed doors, and um, we'll never know what they said. It's just like the one of the things that always fascinates me, I don't know why, uh, during World War II when Roosevelt met with Churchill. Churchill came over on a battleship, and they met up around in one of the bays of Nova Scotia, and they sat alone, person to person. It was like Reagan and Gorbachev when Reagan asked the reporters to leave, and he and Gorbachev talked. So we don't know what they said. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't know what the conversation was uh, between Roosevelt and Churchill and uh, and Reagan and Gorbachev, and just just kind of drives me up the wall sometimes when I try to imagine what their conversation was. But but the results can be world changing. So what these Republicans are talking about behind closed doors, I don't know. I don't even know if they are talking. Um, impeachment is a very powerful thing. It really is. And it basically freezes everything else, and the nation's entire focus is upon it for the time in which it occurs, usually several weeks. It's not something to be taken lightly. Well, I think they but, would get a lot of American sympathy at this point. Um, I think a lot of you know. Americans would support it, and it'd probably be, be about like the last election, probably be about 50-50. No, I don't um, know, Woody. I, I think everybody um, across party lines is, a, is appalled by this hostage swap. I mean, even the secular news um, is trying to downplay it, but they can't help but interview people that um, served with this, this guy that walked off the base and um, I, I was corrected by my kids. That was Michael's question. Anne's question was, you know, what do you personally think of the hostage, hostage trade? Because, Woody, um, you did serve in the armed forces, and, um, you know, I mean, you must feel very strongly about that because you served bravely and, um, you know, were not a deserter. And uh, this, this, I mean, they keep saying, well, there's a lot of questions we have to have answered, and person after person after person has, you know, vouched for the fact that he was disgruntled, he um, walked off the base, and I don't know how many more, um, you know, I haven't heard one person say, you know, um, you know, they're saying, well, we're happy that we don't have a hostage situation, but nobody's saying we're so happy, you know, for the outcome of this, and, um so anyway, that was Ann's question, is what do you think about the hostage trade? Well, first of all, my opinion is no better than Ann's or anybody's else, anybody else's, just because right. I was in the military. But <laughs> but without without question, um, it does it is mind-boggling. Um, I have my had my mind boggled so many times since 2008 when Obama was elect, elected. I just wonder... Where am I? What country is this? Uh, is, this is, can't be America. 
uh, these kinds of things that are happening. I know. And I, and I look at this um, hostage thing, and I wonder, um, is it just the typical incompetence that we expect from the White House? Is it some kind of a political thing? You know, there's a very large liberal movement in America that hates the war in Afghanistan, hates the war in Iraq, hates uh, President Bush. I wondered, did they do this because they want to make a poster boy out of this guy, Sergeant Bergdahl, uh, because he is anti-Afghanistan war, anti-military, anti-army? Are they going to make a hero out of him uh, like they do other people? That are fugitives or criminals. This guy deserted. Uh, he goes to he goes to Leavenworth. He goes to the stockade uh, for a long time. And, and then I think, surely the commander in chief, surely somebody in that White House knew and understood. The army knew quite some time ago that he was a deserter. I cannot believe that the White House did not know that he was a deserter. Yet they yeah, trade they five high-value terrorist commandos who have killed thousands of people and will do so again. And they trade these five for a deserter. It would be different. Now, if Sergeant Bergdahl was a hero, saved people's lives, a you know, good soldier and all that, I could see a one-on-one -on -one swap. But five for one, especially the kind, the five, the kind of people that these five are, you're mm -hmm. putting them back out there, and wow, it's just, I cannot well, believe since, that the White House did not know well, since that the doll was a deserter. The, the uh, current National Security Advisor said that he was a hero, and I think when she said something to that effect, um, that's when it set off the people that knew him. And they said, yeah. you know, just say that he was released. Don't make him into a hero because, you know, that um, they had served with him. And um, six, six, I believe, um, of his uh, fellow Army soldiers were killed in the line of duty trying to find and him. And again, yes. yes. Yeah. Well, so keep I in mind that the, the NSA advisor, uh, Susan Rice, is the same person that went out to five talk shows after the Benghazi attack, right. and when four Americans died, and insisted that it was not a terrorist attack. It was uh, anger over a video that that desecrated the image of Allah, and that was not true at all. I keep in, and then as I suppose she was ambassador to the United Nations at the time, and as I I suppose as a reward for being a good soldier in the liberal movement, she was given the NSA job that Condoleezza Rice held under George mm -hmm. Bush. And I tell you, right. Susan Rice is no Condole uh, Condoleezza. Uh, she just mm -hmm. she cannot match match that lady. But then right. keep in mind that when, when I saw that, um, I think it was yesterday morning or maybe it was this morning, I thought, wow, poster boy. They're going to make a hero out of Sergeant Bergdahl because he deserted the horrible, cruel, vicious, barbarian American army, uh, something like that, uh, just mm -hmm. a part of their agenda. So I don't know what's coming. We'll see what the uh, we'll see what kind of propaganda comes out of the White House next. And you're right. There's a there's an outcry, a public storm, uh, brewing over this thing. It's just incomprehensible. It is mind-boggling. And uh, follow this and see how it plays out. And let's see if we hear anybody mention the word impeachment. 
you haven't heard it yet, at least I haven't, uh, will that be a consideration? I well, doubt it. I, don't, I think this will be no, like Benghazi. I think it will blow over. But it will still be there on Election Day. Yeah. And um, the follow-up question from Michael was, um, what do you think will happen um, to this soldier? Well, sooner or later, I mean, the law is the law. Mm-hmm. Unless the commander-in-chief grants him a pardon, uh, which he probably has the power to do, this guy will go to court-martial, and then he will go to prison for a very long time. Desertion, the military takes that very seriously. Unless that law is countermanded by a president who doesn't seem to have any problems countermanding laws. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's keep an eye on that. Yeah, and that's that seems to be really upsetting um, to my my kids anyway. <laughs> my my listeners. Yeah, but, uh, without without question, the guy needs to go to jail, uh, yeah. especially considering the six Americans that died trying to rescue him. Yeah. He he needs to go to jail, but we'll see and what I, happens. And we understand. And I tell you, these days things. these days at this point, uh, uh, nothing surprises me. Yeah, nothing that comes out of the White House surprises me anymore. Um, we heard that he also was refusing to speak English. What would be the reason for that for an American soldier to refuse to speak his his own language? Well, sounds like a defection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, supposedly, uh, this morning I saw on the news that in a video that the Taliban released that they believe is truly um, of what happened, that an interpreter said that one of the Taliban um, soldiers said to our soldier, uh, don't come back because if you do, you won't be leaving alive. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I wonder if there's truth in that. I don't know if you heard that, Woody. uh, I heard that, too, and, um, you know, I'd always take those things with a grain of salt, so to speak. Um, It may be true and it may not be true. Mm -hmm. So many things uh, reported in the media today, so many things that come out of the mouths of professional politicians are uh, frequently not true or not based in fact, or it's political rather than factual. In this so you day just got to kind media, of weigh it. I, I, can't, um, I said in this day of, of the media, I can't imagine that the president thought he could do a rose garden scene and have us be happy and not want to know what really happened. And I think he must be surprised at the backlash that people found out what the soldier stood for. Because they said, um, you know, that they were, because they said, well, weren't you going to be surprised? And they said, oh, we we thought we would get some backlash, but not like this. Did they really think they could keep it secret and that people, apparently, these soldiers signed something that said they would not say what transpired there. But when they heard him hailed as a hero, they broke their, their vow of silence. And um, I think they just weren't counting on that. They were counting that everybody would just, you know, say, oh, look, this is so great, and and continue on. You know, I, that's where I am. I'm just su- surprised that they think we're that stupid, you know, and yeah. that the well, American people is that dumb, you know, that we're all that dumb. 
Yeah, I guess that's how they look at it, or they uh, they think we don't care, or that we're so um, detached and uninformed that uh, we're not going to react. Uh, it's difficult to say, but with this with this White House, I remember people talking about George Herbert Walker Bush and uh, Ronald Reagan when they were presidents, how they surrounded themselves with some of the smartest people in America, um, and and these are people that are no more intelligent than than anybody, than you and me or anybody in the listening audience. They're no more intelligent. But in their areas of expertise, um, they they really are uh, top-notch. And I, I don't think Obama did that. I think rather he surrounded himself with uh, liberal advocates. And, and his, his advisors and people in the cabinet are liberal advocates rather than the, uh, the best and the brightest. So sometimes... Uh, when they make this kind of miscalculation. And, you know, how they sit around in the Oval Office, they sit around in this oblong circle, and they talk about strategy and how to deal and political and how the people react and so on and so forth in making a decision. How, you know, how will this affect my popularity ratings How and so on and so on. And they miscalculate, like they did with Benghazi. They miscalculate so often. Uh, that we're just becoming accustomed to the incompetence um, in decision-making and policy formulation that's coming out of the White House. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like this. And maybe it occurred in the 19th century or the early 20th, but but um, not in the modern era have we seen this kind of fumbling and stumbling coming from the nation's highest political office. It's uh, very discouraging, and, and it's not something that invokes respect and confidence um, in people that are paying attention. And again, that grabs the question, how many people really are paying attention and how many people are reacting? Now, of course, the media. Remember this. The media's first priority is to make the biggest possible profit, and they're going to milk this story for everything it's got. Ratings go up. The cost of advertising goes up. Their uh, profit margin swells. And mm -hmm. so they're going to push it uh, to the extremes. And like you said, some of the um, some of the liberal media, NBC, ABC, New York Times, that are typically quiet about missteps from the administration are getting involved in this because, once again, there's money to be made. And, you know, they – Support the president, yes, but they have a profit uh, responsibility, yes. The profit responsibility trumps. So the media, of course, is just and My media. kids were lamenting about it. They said this is all we're yes. going to hear about for the next few months. So they'll be back That's to true. reading about it, you know, online. It'd just be, it'd be easier. And uh, so... Um, and then Anne wanted to know about um, any polls that were taken. Are there any polls about what the American people think about the trade, or are there any indications? Um, None that I've seen so far. But Anne, you can. When the yeah. show is over, you can go to your computer and simply type in uh, hostage exchange polls and uh, see if anything has come up yet. I, you know, the, these pollsters. Uh, can get out there pretty quick within 24 hours. So it may be that uh, 
we have a, a poll or two by now. So let's check when the show is over and see what we can find, see what's Sounds happened. Good. And then Anne's uh, other question um, will segue into what we're going to be talking about with the EPA. And um, for those of you listening to this broadcast, there will be a handout with this show. So if you go to current issues um, in the Constitution and scroll down and look for the show, um, it will say uh, something to the effect of um, hostage exchange and then slash EPA. Uh, we're talking about both of those topics today. And she said, um, <clears throat> she watched the clip about um, the EPA and the water regulations, and we're, of course, we're appalled because we have a pond in our yard. And um, she was just questioning, you know, what is that all about? Did it already pass? And I know that the EPA is also talking about a, a carbon emissions that they've, it sounds like they've already passed, Woody. Um, that is going to really hit a lot of the producers, um, coal producers and so forth. And they're saying that um, up until this point had not been regulated or not regulated enough. I don't know. Um, so let's let's talk about the first one um, with water. Well, a little background here. Uh, sure. I, uh, I, I do spend a lot of time uh, following these issues. I always have. And... I noticed that um, I was kind of surprised. I should not have been. But when uh, Obama made the State of the Union message back in January, at one point he said that global warming, or I think he called it climate change, they've changed what they call it, but it's still global warming. He said it is settled science. It is a fact. And, of course, it is not settled science. It is not a fact. Um, at all, and I was just kind of surprised that he would be so dishonest or ignorant. Um, I think dishonest, politically dishonest. Well, you know, when he, when he made that statement, everything had gotten pretty quiet for the past several months, back in 2013 in the winter and back into the uh, fall. But when he said, when he made that statement, all of a sudden, people came out of the woodworks to do all kinds of things towards stopping this imaginary global warming. Uh, Secretary of State John Kerry was in a Middle Eastern country, I do not remember which, and he said that the biggest threat to American security is not terrorism, it is global warming. And I thought, my gosh, uh, what kind of thinking is that? Um, global warming, which is apparently not happening at all if you look at the graphs going back to 1990 yet these guys are insisting so he he says it. gina mccarthy of the epa speaks up greenpeace speaks up and pretty soon you have this uh, land grab situation out in the west uh, you have the clive bundy thing which i believe that we talked about and um, then you get the Bureau of Land Management, another agency of the federal government, trying to take over land in Texas down along the Red River to protect something called the prairie chicken. Have you ever seen a prairie chicken? Have you ever heard of a prairie chicken? Nonetheless, we're going to save him. We're going to punish the, the people that own the land. Uh, we're going to make their life difficult for this little bird. I guess it's a bird. It's a chicken. Uh, so, wow. so all of these things begin to happen, and, and I think, wow, the State of the Union statement is the signal 
Let's get with it. Why get with it now? So a whole bunch of things uh, come along, and now we have the Clean Water Act interpretation that the EPA, EPA is putting out there, also uh, limiting emissions on, and basically ruining the coal industry and, and states that take their electricity from coal. Because Why are they doing all this? Number one, maybe are they just trying to change the subject? I mean, the Obama administration and popularity ratings are just in such low esteem, and that does affect congressional elections. People are, a lot of people are going to vote Republican in, in November of 2014 simply as a reaction against what they're getting, both from Congress and from the White House. So are they trying to change the subject? and make us forget about Benghazi, the NSA scandal, the IRS scandal? Are they going to try to make us forget about Benghazi? And now uh, Sergeant Dahl, uh, Bergdahl, the defector, is that what they're doing? Or do they know they're going to lose the Senate and the White House in 2014 and 2016? So they're going to do everything that they possibly can to implant and institutionalize their agenda while they still have positions of power that allow them to do so. There is definitely a blitzkrieg going on in terms of this pursuit of, a, of, of an agenda that can only be called liberal socialist. And I'll tell you what, um, I'll talk about it here in a minute. It sure does make me think of Agenda 21. I'm not saying it's a part of Agenda 21. But I'm not saying it's not, but it certainly does seem to have the same goals. You know, the global warming thing, the clean water, uh, carbon's emissions. That all goes back to Rio in 1992 and the uh, announcement then of Agenda 21. So just come in with questions anytime you have them. Uh, but I would like to remind you at this point that the federal government now owns approximately 33% of all the land in America, and most of that is in the West, and most of the states in the West that are being victimized are states that vote Republican. If you go to states that vote liberal, uh, federal ownership of land is either zero or three-tenths of 1%, whereas in uh, Western states it can be 81%, 61 66 53 in states like Utah, Alaska, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, so without question, they are slowly but surely expanding the acreage that, that they possess and can control and can regulate and can dictate our behavior, uh, even though we may be the landowners. So this Clean Water Act, and it's a 1972 law that was passed, and a good one, we want clean water. I remember when I was a boy, I um, would go swimming in the Ohio River, but not very often. Uh, we had this thing where, you know, it was a really manly, macho thing to swim across the Ohio River and back. It's a pretty good-sized river. So, mm -hmm. But anyway, you come out of the, came out of the Ohio River, and you're covered with oil and globs of oil, and you had to take three or four showers. Seriously, uh -huh. I'm not exaggerating to get that stuff out of your hair and off your body. Well, now you can swim in the Ohio River or water ski in the Ohio River, and it's not so bad. So the EPA has done a good job uh, of 
carrying out the Clean Water Act. But it's just like everything else. It's a pendulum that swings too far. And they have, in my opinion, and again, my opinion is no better than yours, it seems to me they have gone too far. Now, this recent, um, we're hearing a lot of criticism uh, of this new Environmental Protection Agency announcement that the agency will claim authority over even more streams and wetlands than they already do, and they already have a great deal of control. So it's yet another EPA proposal. It is a proposal, and it is not the law yet, and there's a lot of pushback, and it won't be the law until 2016. Uh, right now we have a comment period that ex extends to, I think, June of 2016. And Congress has plenty of time, and Congress has already begun, at least in the House of Representatives. And if you get a Republican Senate, you're going to have even more pressure uh, to stop this before it gets there. Same thing with the uh, carbon emissions thing of coal-powered coal plants. But anyway, this, this interpretation or proposal that, that they have announced, and they announced, announced it clear back in March, would give the EPA authority that is regulatory authority over permanent and temporary wetlands and waterways. So how, you, how do you define a waterway? How do you define a wetland? Uh, waterways is a little bit easier. It's where water flows. A wetland is where water stays and stands, whether temporarily or permanently. I have a couple of places in my backyard uh, that could come under federal control. And if you have a pond or any place that the water stands for a few days after a rainfall, then you are subject to federal government regulation. Slow but sure, creeping, either taking the land, as they have done so, 33% of it already, or controlling and regulating towards owning that land at some point in the future. Is this a step towards that? It's very difficult to say. But this proposal would immediately extend into seasonal regulatory power, that is rainfall and so on, ponds, streams, ditches, standing water of any type, including those on private property. So, yes, you, Felice, you have a pond. I have a yeah, pond. I have another place in my backyard where my neighbors um, – drain, uh, eaves drain comes down. It was an empty lot, I suppose, when they built it, but it floods an area of my backyard, not very big, and I don't really mind, um, but I frequently can't mow it because it's so wet. Well, that's standing water. That's a wetland, and according to this interpretation, this recent one by the EPA, they will have the power to regulate it if this thing uh, becomes permanent. But Louisiana Senator, um, what's his name, uh, David Vitter, and he is the head Republican on the Senate Environment uh, uh, Committee, he says this, and I quote, the rule may be one of the most significant property, private property grabs in United States history. So the question is raised, and he raises a question, and other Republicans are currently raising the question in both the Senate and the House, can federal agencies make new law. Mm -hmm. This is a new law. 
not they call it, the EPA says this is, this is an interpretation of the Clean Water Act of 1972, but in fact it is a whether it's an interpretation or written in a statutory sense, it is a new law, and that's a power that the Constitution gives to Congress and Congress alone. I repeat, um, Article One, Section One: All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States. It doesn't say anything about an agency. It doesn't say anything about the White House or the Supreme Court. All legislative powers, all new laws, must come from Congress. But we've already seen the president's disregard for the law and, um, by extension, of the chief executive into the agencies. And the agencies have already been commanded by executive orders from both Clinton and Obama to pursue and facilitate the goals of Agenda 21. So isn't this the same thing? I mean, remember what we talked about, Agenda 21, control all or most land areas, force rural landowners into urban areas, eliminate private property. The EPA might as well be an arm of the United Nations Agenda 21. Might as well be because they're doing the same thing. So well, do you that's think there's what, any discussion between them as far as that goes? I think there is. I'm sure there is. Um, I'm sure that they uh, are on the phone a lot or text or whatever they do. Uh, but there are several organizations, some governmental, some non-governmental, what we call NGOs all over the world, and including within the United Nations, they're a part of this basic Agenda 21 takeover of everything on the planet, including world government, and not democratic either. So yes, I think it, um, I think it very well could be a concerted effort on the part of a lot of people who have power and want to expand that power, as Thomas Jefferson warned us, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it's a natural tendency for government to gain ground and for liberty to yield. And I think we're seeing this. Now, if if, um, if I'm wrong, uh, and EPA and Obama are not working hand-in-glove with the United Nations on Agenda 21 implementation, well, they're pretty much doing the same thing. It would be an amazing thing if they both had the same set of goals, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that just yeah. be a, an amazing coincidence? Yeah. No, I think Not it's so I think it's an interna- international movement. Yeah. Well, and it just seems like, you know, it, to me it's very sad that my kids, um, you know, are growing up and your grandkids and my grandkids are growing up uh, in a country where you really want to, um, you know, you're hesitant uh, when you hear anything coming from the government and everything seems to be more of a control aspect, it's, it's very frustrating, Woody. Yes, more and more and more. It's, um, it's frightening and it just, it, uh, it inspires anger. Just, I mean, what can you say? Uh, there's a lot of us that weren't the kind of people that will lay down and let the government uh, take complete control of our lives. That's just not going to happen. Now, you remember in the Clive Bundy thing, uh, when he was allowing his cattle to graze on federally owned land and was not paying the fee 
that, that is required uh, for people doing that. And so they come out and they take action and their federal SWAT team shows up and we're surprised to find a whole bunch of people that had come there from many states and they were carrying guns, shotguns, automatic weapons, and so on. And the um, SWAT team, the federal SWAT team, backed off. And there are an awful lot of people like us that, that simply are not going to accept it. You know, a, right. lot of, a lot of folks picked up their muskets and joined George Washington in 1776 against a tyrant. And um, I think that you could see that again. And I wonder, what are they talking about now with this Clive Bundy thing, okay? Uh, they did what they normally do in terms of trying to deal with Bundy and his cattle and his not paying paying the fee and, and so on. They sent out their SWAT team. They backed off. Now what are they thinking about? What are they talking about? What's their new strategy? What are they going to do next? Because uh, they're going to advance their power, and they're not going to back down. Uh, so we'll see more of this, I have no doubt. Yeah. I can tell you this, there's huge outrage in West Virginia right now over this emissions limit on power plants and coal that um, the EPA is all, also talking about. And that one is also out for comment, and it doesn't go into effect until I don't know when, June 2016. Uh, that uh, So it's for comment now, and West Virginia's reacting, as are several other states, um, 96% of all the electricity that's generated in West Virginia is generated by coal-fired power plants. And again, these uh, EPA people say that we need to limit carbon emissions because of global warming. Well, that we don't have global warming. And as so many scientists, you know, you hear, hear them saying, well, 98 out of 100 scientists say that the globe is warming because of CO2 emissions. Well, those 90, those 100 scientists are government scientists. You go out into the real world, in the private world, and you talk to some of the type, top climatologists in various universities and uh, private organizations like the National Science Research Institute, and they're saying there is no solid evidence that the globe is warming long-term and number two, there is no solid evidence, even if the globe was warming, that it was caused by CO2 emissions. Yet the EPA is going to issue this edict, or is trying to issue this edict, that will cripple our economy and really hurt millions of us because of a thing called global warming that isn't really happening. It's just mind-boggling. And again, the consequences of this, okay, here are the statistics. And this is by the Chamber of Commerce of the United States, highly respected. We're going to lose mm -hmm. 244,000 jobs per year for a total of 3.9 million Americans will lose their jobs by the year 2030. It will cost energy producers $50 billion per year, $50 billion. And these energy producers will pass on to consumers the resulting rise in electrical costs. They have to, or they go out of business. Skyrocketing, Obama in 2008, when he was running for president, said when he was talking about this, he planned this a long time ago, 
that prices will, he said that prices will have to skyrocket. Now he's saying that costs will actually decrease, which is ridiculous, an absurd thing for a supposedly intelligent and educated man to say. Higher electrical yeah. bills to all consumers, and they're going to skyrocket. Higher electrical bills to all other businesses. Everybody uses electricity. Kroger's, Walmart will have to raise prices to pay for skyrocketing electrical bills that they have to deal with. Factories, centers of manufacturing, every place that electricity is used, costs are going to go up. So my my electricity bill goes up. My gasoline bill goes up. My grocery bill goes up. Anything else that I buy goes up. Furthermore, even more, many of these businesses will leave America. And that's easy to do these days in an international, global, um, com- commercial climate. Easy to do. And furthermore, it will make a bad economy worse. We have the worst economy, and we've had it since 2008, since World War II. Mm-hmm. And it is not getting better. There are signs once in a while ticking up, ticking down, ticking up. But our growth rate is 1% or less, and it needs to be 4% to indicate economic health. So all of these things. Now, why would you do this during a period of economic downturn? Why are you going to make the economy worse? Why are you going to, why are you going to injure the economy, not to mention American citizens and businesses? Why are you going to do this during an economic slump? Do you want it to get worse? And if so, why do you want it to get worse? Does that enable the government to exercise more power to deal with the bad economy and all of those kinds of things? What are your motives? Um, it just it doesn't make sense for many, many reasons. Right, or if it does make sense, those reasons don't add up to what, you know, someone that cares about the American people should be doing because it almost seems as if, you know, they're doing it on purpose, Um, like you said, you know, during a bad economy um, to cause additional heartache and problems and issues that, um, you know, it's really difficult um, for us all. And... um, I they've demonstrated to me at least my interpretation is and and I'm I'm very slow to judge but I mean after all of these since 2008 what six years of 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 just I feel like a boxer in the ring just taking blows to the head uh, mm-hmm. just one after another these things and but but uh, you know in in my heart I hope that I'm wrong but. I really don't think they care about the American people. I think they care about power, and I think they care about advancement and implementation of Agenda 21. I think that is, I think that is where they're putting their energy, not into the well-being of the American people. I am sure of that. They have done many things that have hurt the American people, and this is just another one all in the name of global warming, a thing that isn't even happening. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, um, I have a question about uh, Congress. So uh, let's break for commercial, and then we'll, we'll be right back. 
All right. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Well, hi and welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and this is an episode of Current Issues in the Constitution with Woody Wilson. And Woody, um, the question I have about the EPA is, is there any way... Um, to stop this? Is, if there, is there a, like a bill that could be passed or um, who governs the EPA? It almost seems like they're a renegade um, organization that really doesn't, you know, like under what tier are they, like who do they answer to, I guess? Well, you know, I, I think we're seeing a lot of this um, uh, in the Obama administration. Um, you know, the NSA, the IRS, the uh, IMF and, and the various things that they have done um, that we hadn't haven't seen that kind of thing before. In fact, I don't um, I ha- I have no memory of rogue federal agencies before Obama took office. Now, the whole federal bureaucracy there are about three million um, federal workers that work in these bureaucracies. Uh, there are several thousand of them that have been created over the last two hundred and 25 odd years, the uh, commander is the or the head of these bureaucracies is the president, and mm-hmm. in this role we call him chief executive. Now, when he's military operations, we call him the uh, commander in chief, and when he is directing foreign policy, we call him the chief diplomat. But when it comes to carrying out laws passed by Congress, we call him the chief executive. So, to answer your question. He is the guy that is responsible. And when the Environmental Protection Agency is going to issue a new, a brand new interpretation of a law that was passed in 1972, clear back then, and now it means something else, the president knows about this. And when they decide that they're going to cause tremendous pain in their war on coal to the American people and to the American economy, the president knows about it. As a matter of fact, how do we know? I mean, mean, let's get ridiculous here for a second, or maybe it's not so ridiculous. So the United Nations group orders President Obama, their foot soldier, uh, to carry out limitations on... CO2 emissions from coal, and the president then calls Gina McCarthy over at the EPA and says, okay, here's what you have to do. And Gina McCarthy does it because he, the president, 
is her boss. So to me, that's um, uh, pretty simple. I have never seen a president take office that was so narrowly attentive to um, some kind of a policy agenda that we did not elect or we did not vote for. The president is supposed to represent the American people, all of them, even the ones that didn't vote for him. And presidents have always done that until now. Now we see that it's something else. The presidency has, he has made it something else and something that the Constitution did not intend it to be. His job is to faithfully execute the laws passed by Congress. He is not doing that. He's making law himself and allowing or directing federal agencies to make law themselves. Mm-hmm. At least that's and, how I see it right now. Yeah, and it seems, again, very disappointing. Well, I don't want to end this show on a sad note. I want to end it on a happy note. Uh, so let, let's... Um, Let's talk about being proactive, and maybe um, you can share with us, Lydia, a little bit about what you're doing locally in the hopes that uh, those of us that can form some local coalitions and get some grassroots movements going uh, can to become aware of, you know, um, injustices in the system and also to secure our rights as American citizens. Yeah, I was... uh, Let's do close this show on a positive note, Um, and that is that we are still free. Uh, We still have voice. We still have power. We can still vote. Uh, We can still get involved um, with candidates and with issues, uh, local area. Uh, There's a problem in America with, with the decline in education, with student learning that's hit the public schools uh, primarily and private schools as well. And um, we can do something about it. And this has been done many times throughout our history. Real change usually comes from the people. It doesn't come from the government. The government, mm-hmm. what's the government ever done? Did they ever make anything? Did they ever produce anything? Did they ever come up with a new idea, an invention? Uh, no, the government just is the government, and they just go along in a stagnant, mediocre way and do what they do. But when... When the American people band together and when you have several examples, and this usually always happens, uh, when women were trying to get the right to vote back in the 19th century, there were women trying to get the right to vote in many different places across America at the same time. And sometimes they communicated and sometimes they didn't even know each other existed. But, but what we're doing here uh, in my school district is we have decided that um, – I've talked to parents, I've talked to many teachers, I've talked to uh, building administrators, principals, and so on. And we have decided that that our kids are as smart as anybody else's kids, uh, whether they're from Japan or China or France or Florida. Our kids are as smart as anybody else's kids, but their scores are low. We've researched this and found out that our school district is not performing is a low performing district and it doesn't have to be so got together several people that are interested we have our first um, formal meeting uh, next thursday Um, we are studying the impediments to student learning what's stopping it 
we're finding out an awful lot of it comes from the federal, state, and county bureaucracies, from these government agencies that don't, number one, they don't really have their mind fixed on student learning. And number two, they wouldn't know how to fix the schools in our district anyway because they don't live here. And they frequently do things that get in the way, that burden principals, that burden teachers, and make it uh, impossible for them to teach. You know, when I went to Parkersburg High School in 1998, we had a six-period day. We had 58-minute classes. And my class mm -hmm. size was usually around 20. When I left 10 years later, we had an eight-period day. The bureaucracy kept adding new programs that they thought we ought to have. We had a 45-minute period. It went from 58 minutes to 45 minutes. And that is a loss of 40% of teaching time, of learning time. So what does that do to student achievement? Well, it goes down, of course. So we're seeing all this in many other rules, regulations, edicts passed by bureaucracies. Uh, that just make it impossible to teach effectively and for students to learn effectively. So we are identifying these problems. Now we're going to study the problems, and we have people from all walks of life, uh, parents. We uh, have a, a lady who was, has degrees in math and physics that was worked in quality management at Dell Corporation and now owns her own business in Parkersburg. She says it's a retirement business. She got tired of working in the corporate world. And so uh, she, that's just one example of several quality people that we have that are going to, to come up with solutions to these problems, these impediments to learning. And then we're going to go to the elected school board. And I've already talked to four of the five of them, and they are on board and they're all for us. We're getting a brand-new school superintendent. He's an old friend of mine. I've already talked to him, and he is all for us and will support Very us. Good. So we're going to recommend to the Board of Education and the new superintendent measures that need to be changed, things that need to be abandoned, new things put in place that will get our district back on an upward curve when it comes to student learning and achievement. And uh, it's, it's working and it's going to work. And I, have, I do have information that this is being done in many corners of America. Connecticut, North Carolina. I've been reading some of the things that, that they're doing, and uh, it's not exactly what we're doing, but they can't do exactly what we're doing because we're different. We're a different mm -hmm. region of the world. The economy is different. The socioeconomic status is different. So nonetheless, there are a lot of different people that have given up on the government, federal and state particularly, and are taking matters into their own hands. This is a grassroots movement. And as it grows and spreads over the next uh, three, five, ten years, I think we're going to reverse this 44-year history of student decline that began in 1968. I think we can reverse it, first in district after district, state after state, and then nationally. I think um, I have a lot of uh, – and again, ending on a positive note, I have a great deal. I've studied a I've studied U.S. history for 50 years now, and I have a great deal of admiration for the American people, going all the way back to the patriots um, in the Revolutionary War. Great respect and confidence that we're not going to let these bad guys win. 
Uh, we're not going to let them kill America. We're not going to let them kill the Constitution. We're not going to let them take over our private property and our, the other rights that we have possessed since 1781. We're not going to hand it over to them. I have real faith in the American people. We will win. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that, and I'm glad to be able to end this show in a positive light because um, we do want our kids to be informed, which is the reason we're doing this, you know, and leave a legacy for our children um, that, you know, we need to stand up for our rights. We need to understand what those rights are. We need to be informed. And Woody, uh, we need a copy of the Constitution nearby so we can look up and see um, that our rights continue to be preserved for another generation. So thanks once again for, for coming on the show. I appreciate your insights as always and look forward to our next session. My pleasure as always. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.